Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Have you ever heard in the last four weeks anything dumb a Christian has said? I already have this month. How many have heard like something dumb a Christian has said in the last few hours? Don't raise your hand because you probably live with them. No, I'm kidding. All right. So here's the deal. What I want to do is a little different today. What I want to do is this. I think we've gone through, we've looked at different aspects of dumb things. You know, we, we talked about last week, well, God won't give you more than you can handle. And we kind of debunked that. Um, we looked at that. Matt preached the week before. We got it all started with all the comments that were posted on social media with the dumb things that Christians have said. And so what I'd rather do today is this, because I think what, what God wants for us within this message as we wrap it up the next couple weeks before Easter we're going to go all the way to dumb things Christians say until Easter Sunday, April 16th. And on April 16th, ma'am, that's the time to bring somebody with you. We're starting a whole new series called God of the Underdogs. And I just invite you to come. Uh, if you ever felt like an underdog, I guarantee you have. I guarantee you the person you bring with you has. And so we just want to unwrap that and look at what that means from a scriptural standpoint. So today, this is what I want us to do. I want us to look at the scripture. I want us to have a little fun doing that. And I want us to realize that there are things that we're going to say, there's things we're going to hear, and there's probably even things that we believe in, convictions that we hold to, and many different things, and we might think, man, I'm, I have this holiness thing about me, and I just want people to display their life after me, and I want to tell everybody, you know, what I'm against, you know, if I see a, a Christian doing something that they shouldn't be doing, we're, we're like the first to go, you shouldn't be doing that, what are you doing, you're crazy, and, and the first thing we do a lot of times is we tell people, what we're against rather than what we're for. And uh, what's really interesting, when I started Googling dumb things Christians said, uh, you know, about a month ago, a lot of the sites that were there weren't Christian sites, okay? They were like xchristian.com, and they were all these sites of people that, that said, and I don't Google it by, <laughs> by any means, but it had just a ton of different stuff of people that were so hurt by the church, so hurt by their friends in Christianity, so hurt by a, a pastor or a leader who claimed to be a Christian. And so what I want to make sure that we do, especially in this message more than anything else, and Easter coming, and there's going to be a lot of people here, a lot of visitors, and you're going to be surrounded by family, is let's make sure our family, our visitors, our church, those we come encounter with within the community, they know what we're for. They know what we're about rather than what we're against. If you agree with me, say, yeah. All right. So here's the deal. I have seven thoughts this week on these dumb things. Number one is this first thought. Here we go, and we'll toss it up on the screen. In building our platform on what we are against, we've often neglected to establish a foundation of what we are for. I'll give you an example here. When we first started the church, man, if any, anything seemed to happen, we were kind of a mutt church. I know we're Assemblies of God church, but some of you are, are recovering Lutherans. Some of you are, that's a joke. Some of you are you're like, I take offense to that, all right? Um, some, some of us were Catholic. Some of us, you know, are Presbyterian. And that's what I was. And I asked my dad, what does that mean? He's like, that we're Presbyterians. That's what that means. Um, you know, some of you maybe are, are Methodist or E-free, or maybe you come from a spiritual background, more of a Baptist background, more of a non-denominational background, maybe a charismatic background. Maybe you come from, like, what I'm from with no background. And, and you've got all of these different, we're kind of a mutt church. We're not a thoroughbred, okay? And sometimes, how many know, like, Mutts are a little bit cuter at times, aren't they? You're cuter, all right? Smarter too, all right? So here's the deal, sometimes. Um, I don't know about my dog at times, but here's the deal. I believe 
that when we first started as a church, we had all these different ideals. We had all these different thoughts about what it meant. And we wanted to stick up for our convictions and our beliefs. And we wanted to make sure everybody knew it. And here's what happened. A few, few months in, we had uh, a child who came and it was around Christmas time. Some of you know this story. I've shared it at the intro dinner before. And, and this girl was so excited. They went around and they started sharing, what did, what did you get for Christmas? And this girl's like, I'm so excited. I got this awesome Lego set. Come on, who doesn't like Legos, right? Okay. She gets this Lego set and she's just pumped and she's going around. And our teacher that day, our teacher that day, and here's the, here's the problem. The Lego set she received was a Harry Potter Lego set. Now there's some Christians that say you should never watch Harry Potter. Some are like, it's fine. Okay, I don't know where you're at at the spectrum. I really don't care and we'll, I'll tell you why. And here's why. That morning the girl said, look at what I got. And the teacher said to her, well, that's of the devil. You shouldn't have Harry Potter Legos. And she was in tears. And, and the parents came to me afterwards. We knew them. And she just said, hey, just FYI, this happened. I just want you to know about it. And uh, I went, I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I mean, that's awesome that she got that gift. We're excited for her. Just let her know that. And, and I even went over to their house and I said, hey, can I see the Lego set? Can I see the one you've got? Because we just wanted her to know. We want to be excited with you, even if we have a different conviction about that. Um, a few months later, we, we started out as a church, and we, we looked around about a year into our church, and almost everybody in our church had a tattoo. How, how many of us have tattoos? Come on. All right, like, okay, about half or maybe even more than half, all right? I'm, I still haven't caught on the bandwagon. I'm sorry. I'm not there yet, okay? If I get one, it's going to be my anniversary date, so I never forget it. Something important. But here's the deal. I was like, we have so many people in our church that have tattoos, and we had two tattoo artists that were coming at that time, and I'm like, how cool would it be if we did like a live, a live tattoo on stage, somebody getting a tattoo? And I said that to some people in our church, and they're like, you can't do that. I'm like, why, why? They're like, because I don't believe in tattoos. And I'm like, that'd be so cool. And so I went and I talked to one of the tattoo artists. We were going to do it. Some people are going to be offended and leave, and I'm like, what in the world? It's just a tattoo, man. And so here's the deal. I think sometimes we hold to these convictions, and we tell people what we're against rather than we're for. Last story, and some of you know this one, um, the church that I pastored at, I walk in, and there's, uh, there's our usher team going on, and everybody's trying to find a seat. And there was one visitor who was new, and he walks into the church, and he sits in the back row of the church, kind of new, kind of scared, going, I don't know what I'm doing in church. Some of you are like, I can totally read it. I don't know what I'm doing here today. I, you know, figuring it out. Welcome. And he sits down on the back seat, and he's wearing a hat in church, okay? And uh, sometimes some of our worship team wears hats. Maybe you don't like that. Maybe you do. I don't know. Again, I really don't care. I just want to do what God wants. And so here's the deal. He's wearing this hat. He's sitting in the back, and, and up comes this, uh, this, this one of the pastors that I served on staff with, and he says to the kid, he says, Hey, out of respect, you've got to remove the hat. And the guy looks at him and says, I'm not removing my hat. It's not going to happen. And finally the pastor is, you know, get, he's just getting ticked like, how dare you step on my belief system? And he says to the guy, he's like, you've got to remove your hat or I'm going to have to ask you to leave. Sidestep for a moment. I just want you to know that will never happen to you here. I don't care what your hair looks like, whether you have hair or don't. You're welcome here. All right, so he's like, out of respect, pastor, I'm leaving my hat on. And the pastor said, then I'm going to have to ask you to leave. And the guy's like, fine, I will remove my hat to appease you. And so he removes his hat, takes it off, and here stands about a 10-inch green mohawk that he was covering. And I'm like, yeah. So I'm just, I'm such a rebel. I'm like, that's so awesome, you know. And, and the pastor's like, please put your hat back on, <laughs> you know. 
I'm like, really? So here's the deal. I think we get so caught up in this because we get so like, this is what I'm against, this is what I'm against. What the heck are we for? What are we for? What are we going? Hey, this is what we're about. And so that's what I want to unwrap today. Maybe you're like, Christians shouldn't see Lord of the Rings. Maybe they should. Well, it's written by Christian. FYI. Maybe you're like, you shouldn't read The Shack or you shouldn't see it. I can't wait to see The Shack. Maybe you're like, you can't watch rated R movies. Some rated R movies are better than like some Disney movies. Let me just say that, okay? Maybe you're like, anti-Disney. There's some Disney movies that are really good. Come on. National treasure, hello. All right, maybe you're like against Trump. Maybe you're for Trump. Maybe you're against birth control. Maybe you're for birth control. Maybe you're like the Christmas tree comes from a pagan thing, so we shouldn't have a Christmas tree in our house. Or maybe you're like, we love Christmas trees. Stop judging each other, okay? Or maybe you're like, we celebrate Halloween. We don't celebrate Halloween. Maybe you've had the talk with your teenagers about masturbation. Want to be real? We'll get real this morning. Maybe you're going, I believe this. And maybe you're reading James Dobson and he believes something else. And you're going, what do I do here as a parent? How do I, how do I lead my kids in this? How, how do I talk to them? Well, it should be coming from parents and it should be the church that's walking alongside you in those tough decisions, not judging people, but walking alongside from a scriptural worldview. Maybe you're going, in church, man, there shouldn't be drums. They're of the devil. Have you heard, how many have heard that before? Drums are of the devil. Give me a break, you know? Or guitar. I have my brother-in-law. He went to a Calvinist church out in Michigan for a while there's some great Calvinist churches. This church, he showed up and he was at a worship conference and so he brought his guitar, he brought his tailor, he showed up and they said, I'm sorry, even though you're leading worship, you'll have to do it without guitar. It's the only instrument he plays. They said, guitars are of Satan and so we're not allowing those in our church. I don't know where this stuff comes from. I don't. I, I really don't. And so as a result, here's what happens. We as the church, I'm not talking the bridge, I think we do a great job and I just want to affirm what we're doing. But I think as a church as a whole, we're not often known by our love and our grace. So let's not give the world any fuel for that fire of Christian stereotypes. Amen? Amen? 2 John, verse 13, 35. John writes this. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my, dis- my disciples. If you, come on, say it with me. If you love one another. Say it with me. If you love one another. They'll know you're my disciples by this, if you love one another. That's it. Number two, seven thoughts. Here's the second one this morning. The primary responsibility of every Christian, that's us, is not to stand against sin, okay? It is to draw near to Jesus, to know him, and to be known by him. You are not the Holy Spirit. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Let's let the, I think the Holy Spirit does a better job than all of us combined. So let's just let him be the Holy Spirit. He's really good at his job, I'm learning. Okay? I'm learning. I'm in, I'm in training still. We all are. You see, Christians, we're not to stand against sin. We're to stand for Jesus. And here's what happens. Decisions, when we say yes to Christ, when we say we're going to make that commitment, that decision helps us start. Then it's our own personal relationship, walking by the leading of the Holy Spirit, and that discipleship helps us finish. Decisions help us start discipleship or discipline, it's the same root word in the Greek, helps us to finish. Romans chapter 6, verse 6, Paul writes this, for we know that our old self, this is before you were Christian, was crucified with him, with Christ, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. We are to be representatives of Jesus Christ. As a youth pastor, I've heard some of the craziest stories you could possibly imagine. Being your pastor, I've heard some weird ones too. A lot of yours. 
And, and I sat down with one of our youth once, and he wanted to get together with me. He was struggling with his faith, and I said, tell me about your faith. What's, what's going on? He said, well, I choose not to follow Christ anymore. I'm like, well, why? What's going on, man? He said, I don't believe in Jesus. He said, I used to, but I, I don't anymore. And if you read the scripture, it says that's even worse than not believing in the first place. And that's everything in me. I'm like, I wanted to tell him what you're doing wrong and all this. I'm like, God, how do I just be gracious and loving right now with what he's struggling with? And so we sat down at a very nice restaurant called Taco Bell. So good. And we sat down together and we started talking. And I just said, tell me where you're at in your faith. Like, and I just listened. And, and I've learned to say something. When somebody says something you disagree with, if you've ever taken an alpha course, you just say, oh, that's interesting. That's all you say. You just listen. Oh, that's interesting. You just listen. And, and he started sharing with me his belief. And his belief became what's known as pantheism. If you know what pantheism is, pantheism just means everything is God. Like, this could be God. That could be God. You could be a God. All of this. And, and I said, oh, that's interesting. And I just listened. And I said, hey, can I just ask you this question? I said, you and I are both going to die someday. Can we agree on that? He's like, yeah. And I said, can we agree on the fact that when we pass away, that if I believe in Christ and I'm right, and he is the only way, the truth, and the life, then I receive eternal life. Can I agree with that? And he's like, yeah, I can see that. And I said, can we agree that even though you believe in pantheism, one of us, right, one of us is right and one of us is wrong? And I said, can you agree with that? And he said, no. And I realized that arguing and debating on logic didn't even matter. And all I could do was love and let my life display what I was for rather than my words. I think that's what God calls us to do. In fact, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and Matthew writes this, says, and I tell you, Jesus' words, you are Peter, his disciple, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Okay? Here's Jesus saying, you're the church. Be the church. And so how should we act? Well, here's how we should act. Here it is. If we're a disciple of Christ, if we're believing in him, if we, if we are completely sold out, if we have died to ourselves and said yes to Jesus Christ, then we're thankful we're not entitled. Then we're adaptable with what God's doing. Okay, We're sold out to the message. We know that in our time, the method changes, though. We're teachable. We're present. Out of us, rivers of water, rivers of living water flow. We're life-giving. I've heard that somewhere before. We're giving, not demanding. We're encouraging rather than blaming. We speak life over people, not curses. We're broken people. We're not proud or arrogant people. We rejoice in others' victories without being envious of their victory. We fear the Lord. We're steady and consistent. With our lives, we're pursuing the Holy Spirit. And we have a daily devotional and prayer life. And last, we're friendly. You ever met a Christian that wasn't friendly? You were, if, if that was the only person you met and you weren't a Christian, how would you think Christianity is? What would you think it's about? You could be the very representation of Christ to someone and the representation of all of Christianity to someone. Thanks, Pastor Chris. That's really light and easy this morning. I hope not, because that's really heavy. But that's what God calls us to be as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. It is a heavy burden that we're to bear, Okay? Now imagine this. Imagine if that didn't happen. Imagine there was no negativity, no personality conflicts in the body of Christ. Do you imagine that? I think we have a pretty, pretty awesome church here. I'm going to be very honest with you. I think we have an incredible church 
We have people that see a need and they jump in. We have an incredible team. I mean, the majority of us serve in some capacity in the church. That's unheard of. This is awesome. That's who we are. But this only happens when we start being the church and we start seeing people the way Jesus sees them. You know, we're commanded in the Bible to love one another. So let me just say this, because you might say, well, I really hold to this, and my, my friend in the church doesn't believe this conviction. Don't let a disputable matter ever trump the command to love one another. The fact is, we don't know everyone's story. We don't. We know parts of it. And if God was okay meeting you where you were at, let's be okay meeting the person where they're at. Number three, when the things we do or abstain from become the defining characteristics of who we are, we lose the greater identity of whose we are. Okay? Don't let what you do define you. Let whose you are define you. If you say, hey, I belong to Jesus, then that should be our defining role as a Christian. I belong to Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. You might disagree with somebody. That's okay. Genesis chapter 127. It's written here, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It doesn't just say here in this scripture, in the image of God, he created those who hold your views. No, he created everybody. He created them in his likeness. He knew he was creating people. You know, right now, what is it, 7 billion on our planet? Is that, does that sound about right? Seven, are we up like 7 billion people that maybe hold different views. Now we believe and we'll never water down the message that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. We want people to know that's what we're for rather than the things that we're against. Every single one of us here is created in the image of God. Philippians chapter three, verse nine, Paul writes this. He says, and be found in him, found in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Come on, are you awake this morning? It's not about our self-righteousness. It's about Him. We talked about this last week. The Bible points us what? It points us upward, not inward. It will always point us towards a relationship with Jesus. What we do doesn't define rather who we are. Okay? Otherwise, what happens? It becomes about us. Well, look what I did. Look, I've been walking out. I've, I've been free from that sin for a while. Ha ha, sucker. <laughs> and what does that do to somebody? They're like, wow, man, I'm, I'm struggling with that. I, I've been dealing with that forever. I'm, I'm great you have victory, but man, really? And you're like, well, I have victory. You should too. And we start judging. We start doing what God doesn't want us to do. He wants us to walk in love and full of grace. Let me say this. When we're filled with ourself, God can't fill us. So we want to be continuously filled with His Holy Spirit. Number four, the Holy Spirit convicts, the enemy condemns. So shut it, Marv. How many of you ever seen Home Alone? You remember Marv? Marvin, what's the other guy's name? Harry? Marvin? Harry! Harry! My kids, we love watching this movie. However, one of my oldest boys, his name will go Isaac unmentioned, um, he loves to say this, and, and he's a teenager with hormones that are just going crazy right now. I love you, buddy. And, and sometimes I'm like, you just need to like go outside and run 16 miles and come back, okay? 
like just you got so much energy you don't even know what to do with yourself right now you know and uh then you put that with sugar and all you know whatever and anyway he has he just says like you know jokingly he'll just say shut it marv shut it marv you know and it comes from home alone here's the deal we have to realize that it's the holy spirit to convict the enemy condemns there's a big difference it's our job to do neither neither it's our job to love so shut it marv i love that shut it marv zip it in other words and i, and I have some scripture references i didn't have time to write all these out on my powerpoint I'm just going to throw these at you. If you'd like them, you can email me. I'll send them to you. Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Not only shut it, Mark, but then speak the truth in love. If God calls you to speak the truth in love, make sure it's God. Speak the truth in love. Ephesians 14, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head. That's Jesus Christ. Is it leading people towards Christ? Let Christ's words live in you. Colossians 3.16, let the words of Christ and all the riches live in our hearts and make you wise. Use his words, not your own, to teach and to counsel each other. Speak God's favor and grace over others. Colossians 4.6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to have an answer for everyone. Encourage and build each other up. First Thess- Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, as you are already doing. Apply the golden rule, Matthew 7, 12. So in everything, do to others as you'd have them do to you. And then think before you speak. Think before you speak. Is it beneficial? Is what I'm about to say beneficial? Does it build up? Does it make me a judge over somebody? Am I saying this in complete love? My, my job in high school was... Uh, at the end of high school and when I was in college was I was a waiter. You know, I loved serving restaurants. Some of you liked that job too. It was, it was a great restaurant. It was a great place to work. It was awesome. And there was one of my coworkers, his name was Jack. And, and Jack and I, um, we became pretty good friends. And about six months into working together at Chi Chi's, I said to him, I said, hey, uh, you know, hey, can you tell me? I, I don't ever hear you swear. I don't ever hear you like, you know, flirt with women here and all of this. I said, you kind of hold yourself a little different. Tell me why. And he's like, well, I'm a believer in Jesus. And that's all he said. Well, later on, I found out he was a Jehovah's Witness and I was a Christian. And so the staff found out and we'd have these great conversations. We didn't know anyone was listening. Everyone was listening. And the bartender one night said to us, this is after people had left and we were cleaning up, rolling silverware, all the fun stuff you're serving, you know what you have to do at the end of the night. And, and he said to us, he said, hey, would you guys just mind talking? Because I'm just listening. I want to take this in. They respected us because we were doing this out of love. I wasn't slamming his beliefs, even though they were wrong. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't, he wasn't slamming mine, even though they were right. And uh, here's what I say, though. I, I shared with him in love because I believe the Jehovah Witness, this is an organization that takes some stuff out of context in Scripture. And so we built a relationship for a year, and I was able to share that with him found out, some of you know my friend Jack, he found out a few years into this, about six years after, after I was an associate pastor for a while, and he was still serving, and then he moved on, he moved to California, he came to me and he said, I just want you to know that I'm no longer a Jehovah's Witness, and I'm seeking Christ for my life, because I didn't have an answer for what you shared in love. You might not see it in your lifetime, you might not see it in six years. Confession of a church planner or pastor one of the most difficult things of a pastor is this. Some of you are contractors. You get to go out and you, you create a house. And within a few weeks or a month, 
you see the finished product. As a pastor, you preach, you teach, you mentor, you, 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 you hopefully hone others, you hopefully iron sharpening the iron, you're mentoring, discipling. In my lifetime, I might not see the fruit of that. And sometimes that's hard to just hold on and go, I want to wait. And so when it happens like that and you get to see the fruit, it's incredible. And so I want you to see the fruit in your life by living out what you're for rather than what you're against. Number five, sometimes, sometimes, if you agree with this statement, say yeah, sometimes our stances on issues are stronger than the Bible stances on them. They are at times, okay? God doesn't want us to make our issues absolute when they're not absolute. There's one thing that's absolute in this life, and that is Jesus Christ and the Word of God. That's it. There's nothing else. That is the absolute truth. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in all righteousness. When we started the church, we, we liked, I like to learn. My wife doesn't like to learn as much. Um, I like to read leadership books. She likes to read these, like, romance novels. Ah, all right. Any of you like to read that junk? Anyway, um, I say that in love. And uh, I want you to know what I'm for, not against. And if you want to read those, I love you. I'll just, I'll watch Friends on Netflix because that's less sinful. Um, and, and so here's the deal. Here's the deal. I would read these leadership books and it would say, man, if you do this, your church is going to grow. If you do this, your church is going to grow. And, and I'm like, all right, we're doing everything. Well, let's just make sure we've got it right. And, you know, the, the music needs to be this loud, not this loud. The lights need to be this. The stage needs to look like that. And make sure we have the right coffee cups and, you know, all this and blah, blah, blah. And we just went on and on and on. And this became kind of an addiction for me when we started the church because I'm like, I want to just do it just right. That's how frustrating it is to try to do everything just right all the time. You can't. You can't do it all just right. And then when you're doing it just right, and you don't see God's blessing, and screw it all up, and you do things wrong, and then the church grows, you're sitting there going, what in the world, Lord? Like, what's going on? Well, here's the issue. A lot of these leadership books are great. However, a lot of them speak to it. They say, if you do X, Y, Z, then you will see X, Y, Z, as if it's absolute truth. It's not. In fact, I just, and it's a book I want to, I'm giving away. I'm not selling this or anything, but I just finished my first book on church planning. And what it is, is it's talking about not to make church planning and church growth an absolute, but rather the Word of God an absolute and let Him lead you in your own situation. I think we can all relate to that. Number six, if you are constantly on the prowl of what you are against, your faith's going to become bitter rather than better. If, if that's what you're all about, man, your faith, it's going to become obnoxious. Man, you're going to be like, oh, I can't, like, let me ask you this. Let's be honest. You don't have to raise your hand, though. Have you ever met someone that's always telling you what you've done wrong? Don't, don't you just want to spend more time with them? <laughs> or they wait for a chance to tell you where they're right in their life. Or, or they're always complaining about what they don't like. I know none of us know anybody like that, okay? But, but it's, it's their negativity that defines them. And it's hard for us. And so what I want to make sure is let's never let our negativity define us. There, there'll be stuff you disagree with church. There'll be stuff you disagree with me on. That's fine. But let's make sure people don't impact their relationship with Jesus with maybe something we disagree with with the church. Let's let that be our defining moment. Don't let what you're against define you. In the same token, don't let what you're for define you either. Only let whose you are define you. You're Jesus. 
Pray for those that are negative. Those that bug you, those that get under your skin, those that drive you nuts. I know, you know, I'm a pastor, so that never happens to me, but for those of you that have happened to you in your life or, you know, show up at Easter Sunday with your whole family there and you guys just always get along, right? There's never any quarrels or anything. For those of you that have reality, um, pray for them. Pray for those who are negative, you know? Pray for those that have given, not, not the bridge church, but church in general, a bad name. Pray for them. Don't curse them. Pray for them. It's not our job to condemn or convict. That's God's job. Last one here, number seven. A church without broken people is a broken church. Don't let what, def- you know, don't let what you're for, what you're against define you. But realize we're all broken. There's always room for one more broken person, okay? Don't let us be a church that's never open to receiving broken people. God's church, it's delicate, it's fragile, and yet it's resilient. Church should be about people from all different backgrounds like we are. We're that much church. Being able to come together and be themselves and worship. Freely being able to come and say, hey man, this is what I struggled with last night. Without feeling condemned. There will be people in church and out of church that you will disagree with. There'll be those people that tick you off, that test your patience. And rather than saying a dumb thing, just be Christ-like to them. Sometimes that's even without words. Just put a hand on the shoulder. Hey man, thanks for sharing. I just want to pray for you. I don't have time to read all of this, but in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, Solomon, he writes this, the book of wisdom. He says there are seven things detestable to God. And the seventh one that he writes about is a person who stirs up conflict within a community. It says that's detestable to God. In fact, Paul writes later, he says, that person should actually not be a part of your church. You should ask them to leave. And so we want to make sure that we're the church. James talks about this in chapter 2, verse 8. They were seeing people who were poor, people who were rich. And he said, continue to be the church. He says this, you are doing right if you obey this law from the highest authority. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Your neighbor within scripture always means the enemy. That you're loving the enemy. Let me conclude with this. Those are the seven thoughts. What should we be known for? What should we be known for? Here's a few thoughts this morning. We should be known that we're not self-centered people, but we're others' concern. Amen? We're others' concern. We're not about ourselves. We're about others. We should be a church that reflects God's glory rather than receiving it. We should always be reflectors of what God's doing. Third, and this one's a little, little tough sometimes, but we as Christians, we're called to live a higher standard. We're called as that, okay? That's what God asks us. He says, hey, live a life. And he says, if you love me in the book of John, we will obey his commands. We don't have to tell people, man, this is what you got to, no, let's just live it. Next, what should we be known for? What about leaving a positive, lasting legacy on every person who crosses our paths? Why not? That's what I want people to be. I want them to, you know, I want to be known for that. Leaving a positive legacy. What about conflict? Once you give your life to Christ, once you say yes to him, he blesses you and there's no more conflict in life, right? It's just perfect. Once you give your life to Jesus, everything's perfect and, and, and no, that's not truth. No, holding on to Jesus allows us to realize he's holding on to us rather than us holding on to him at those times in our life that we go through. And so 
we're going to deal with conflict from time to time. Deal with it biblically. Matthew chapter 18 talks about that. It says, go to that person that you have an issue with. Talk it out. Get to know it. I love when people do that. Next, utilize discernment rather than judgment. And when I say that, a lot of times we say that as Christians to give us an excuse to judge. I was just discerning them in that situation. <laughs> Shut up. You weren't. <laughs> I've done it. Discern your own relationship with Christ. Okay? Discern your relationship. What am I doing? God, how do you want to lead me? Last two here. Live a life of love. Love life. Let people see that. Christianity is not supposed to be a drag. It's not supposed to be boring. This is supposed to be crazy, awesome, wild adventure when you say yes to Christ. And the last is this. And this is what I want to challenge you with this morning. This is the biggest one. If, if you don't remember any of the seven, I want you to remember this today, right now. What are we to be known for? Well, in generalized speaking, this is what I want to be known for, and I want to challenge you to be known for this as well. I want to be known for living a life worth imitating. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.